unadulterated, unfiltered, opinions on pop culture, religion, politics, and everything in between from a biblical perspective, whilst sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Kyle Allen, and this is My Thoughts, My Opinions. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to my thoughts, my opinions with yours truly, Kyle Allen. Today has been, I would say it's been a quite a good day. It's pretty dreary outside, about like 50 degrees, nice hoodie weather. Uh, a lot has been going on with me personally. Um, I, you know, I just finished school recently, wrapped up with finals. Uh, that went good, but... I would say my overall experience with online school was, I would say, all around negative because there was zero interaction with me and my teachers. There was only like two of my classes that met every day for Zoom. Everything else was pretty much like the teacher would just post like an online video or recording and pretty much was just like a free-for-all, like, you know, you just figure it out on your own for yourself. Um, and it, really wasn't, it wasn't really that usual close interaction that you would usually have with teachers, being able to just go right in front up to them and ask questions, whereas now you have to email them. And you have like this whole chain of emails going back and forth. This person doesn't respond in enough time. Um, and things can get lost um, with all that back and forth through email. So, it it really was not the the best experience for the student. Um, and I would even argue to say that many didn't learn many people didn't learn anything. Um, because to me, the people who were the most successful were people who know how to navigate the internet. If you know how to search for answers, if you know how to find those quizlets, if you know what I'm saying, um, if you have a Chegg account, if you have a Course Hero account where you're able to find worksheets, I mean, that, those are the people who profited most because these teachers weren't able to really fact check or verify whether or not this is actually work done by the student. So nobody was really doing any learning. It was just like, well, can you find the answer? Can you turn it in on time? Can you keep up with all this work? And that's another thing that I noticed too, like it was way more work than it usually ever is. Like just being slammed with work day after day after day. It's like I couldn't get a break. I couldn't breathe. Um, so my overall experience uh, is really negative and is quite honestly, has me, has me, it's having me view school a whole lot differently than I was before. Uh, initially, you know, I was with under the impression that most people are, right? That college is the way to go. Stay your four years, get your degree, roll out, get your job. But the way things are with the economy and how school is panning out and there really isn't a whole lot go learning going on. Um, me, along with many others, a lot of uh, college students are looking for things outside to do. 
um, whether it be um, going down um, the creative path and trying to start YouTube channels, podcasts, um, or even look at um, you know, more practical ways like uh, getting a real estate license or picking even picking up a trade, which is actually something that I've been looking into um, over this summer. Uh, that's been something that I've been looking to, um, like, well, do I take the year off or well, what do I do? So that's something that's still, um, up in arms. I really don't know, um, what it is that I want to do. Cause I'm really not feeling school after this year and the year before that. Um, and plus two, my school is mandating COVID vaccines, which we will talk about later. I'll give my opinion on that. but. I wanted to present this challenge that the Lord gave me. Now, this challenge would be called the Protestant work ethic. And I was inspired by this quote from John Piper, who stated in a sermon, the power of God's grace in the heart of the humble believer who depends utterly on God produces incredible industry. And this really got me thinking and really got me moving. I'm like, hmm, like that's really... Interesting. So I did some more research into the Protestant work ethic, work work ethic, and the term actually comes from Max Weber, where in his book, The Protestant Work Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism, published in 1904, Weber studied the phenomenal economic growth, social mobility, and cultural change that accompanied the Reformation. He went so far as to credit the Reformation for the rise of capitalism. An entire new birth of innovation and wealth being credited to Christians. Now, as a carnal man, as an unbeliever, cannot discern the driving factor behind these people. So he misjudged and deduced the work ethic as a way of them working toward right standing with God, or in other words, earning their salvation. When in actuality, the complete opposite is true. The Christians at that time understood that all the work in terms of salvation was already done. God received the glory for that on the cross. So it was his grace that moved the people to get out and work. Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 from the NIV says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. If you want to know what your purpose is, Your purpose is to glorify God. These people understood that it's not, what did Jesus do? Now do that. Instead, it's look at what Jesus has already done. Now believe that. And their faith was the transforming factor. They said, oh, look at what the Lord has done for me. He has came down here as man, wrapped himself in flesh. Live the life that I could never live, a life of perfection, keeping all 613 laws of God. Live that perfect life. Died on the cross, paying for my sins against God so that I may have eternal life, so that I may be reconciled back to him. He stood in the place where I should be standing. For the wages of sin is death. That's what death is. That's how the Bible describes death, wages. And had it not been for Jesus, 
God would be paying back his judgment and his wrath unto us. But instead, he paid it unto Christ. He spent all of his anger and wrath onto his own son so that we would be able to have eternal life. Similar to like a court, if a judge were to um, look at you and you had a stack of speeding fines, if someone came and paid your fine, you're free to go. And that is what Christ has done. That's why he said on the cross, it is finished. In other words, the debt has been paid. You're free to go. And when they look at this, these, these, these people who are of the Reformation, these Christians at that period of time, they look at this and they say, how great is our God? We must serve him because of what he has done for us. So you have to understand whatever you believe in, you obey. And whenever you obey is your master. A lot of y'all so-called free spirits, but you're a slave to your own desires. <laughs> like, who rules over you? You or your desires? I'm going to let that translate in y'all's spirit. Y'all got to think about that one. Uh, but now, with this challenge, it's going to last until the end of summer. And I know, I know every single person who's probably listening to this. You got something. Mm-hmm. You've been pushing it off, saying that you're not ready. Oh, I don't have the equipment yet. I don't know how to do it, which is absolutely no excuse in this generation. You want to know how to do something? Go on YouTube. This podcast was created based on YouTube tutorials. That idea or ideas you've been keeping to yourself could be truly a blessing to someone. You are hindering God from performing a mighty work in you because you are so caught up in yourself. Yes, you can't do it. Welcome to Christianity. There is no such thing as a great man or a great woman of God. Just weak men with a mighty God whose weakness drives them toward him. Christ is the main protagonist. So it's no excuses this summer. We get into it. So I want you to write down a list of ideas that you've been sitting on. So you, I'm going to just slow it down for a little bit. You might have to rewind a couple times to write all this down. So after you write, you've wrote out all these ideas and you've listed them, take a picture of it and write, Lord, I humbly submit these ideas, whether they be ideas, goals, plans, I submit these to you. I ask that your grace may empower and motivate me to bring these things to fruition. I pray that I will glorify you with my work and that your kingdom will be advanced. After typing that out, tag me along with the hashtag, hashtag Protestant work ethic. If you don't know how to do it, just head to my page and uh, I'll post mine up there as an example. And you can look to that as an example. So, hey, man. We we need to get to it. There are so many people who I know who are just so talented and are just sitting on so many ideas. Me being one of them. Um, there are so many different ideas that I've had and plans and things that I've wanted to do, but I've sat on them because I'm thinking like, oh, well, that's going to take too much work or, well, I don't know how to do that quite yet or 
all of these things that are just coming up in my mind trying to prevent me from doing the things that the Lord has placed on my heart. So I want to move all those things out the way. And I want to submit all these plans to God. And I just want to glorify him. That that love that he's shown me, that forgiveness that he's shown me, that grace is moved me to do great works. We're not saved by our works, but we were saved to work. Work was something that was always a part of God's created plan. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were working, tending to the garden. So work has always been a part of this. So um, work, work is a part of it. But the work is not out of a place of, oh, I'm trying to get in the right standing with God. No, it's because what God has done for me, it has moved me. It has motivated me to get out there and to glorify him with everything that I do. Now, it's been a lot of stuff going on in the media. The biggest thing in the media right now is Kwame Brown. Now, to fill you in, Kwame Brown is a former basketball player who spent 12 seasons in the NBA. Selected by the Washington Wizards in the 2001 NBA draft, Brown was the first number one overall pick to be chosen straight out of high school. Now, with number one draft picks, they have tremendous pressure, a lot of hype going around them. So everybody is hyping them up and placing them on this pedestal. Like, oh, like this dude's the best and it creates so many expectations on the person. So you have to go above and beyond. You can't even meet expectations because even meeting expectations, that isn't good enough. You have to be above and beyond what they were um, hyping you up to be. And so that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. So you, someone can easily... Um, be labeled with the term bust because of all of that pressure um, that's that's placed on the player. So Kwame Brown being the number one overall draft pick out of high school, which even creates even more hype, created so many expectations in the heads of people. And when they felt that Kwame Brown did not live up to their expectations, the media came after him, most notably Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith can be argued that he built his entire career off the shoulders of Kwame Brown. He absolutely torched Kwame Brown, calling him a bona fide scrub, just totally, totally running him through the mud. I'll play a clip right here to show you an example of that. Did L.A. give up too much to get a guy who has been labeled soft, although he puts up 19 and 9, which only 11 other guys do? Is that a trick question? 
You tell me. They gave up Kwame Brown. Two Who first cares? rounders. I could, I could care less. Tied into his salary for first four of years. all, understand something. When you're giving up first round picks, if you are a quality team in play in playoff contention, it really doesn't mean that much. That's number one. Number two, and more importantly, Kwame Brown is gone. The city of Angels, Hollywood, just should be celebrated. Throw a parade already, whether you win a championship or not. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. No disrespect whatsoever, but I'm sorry to call tell everybody the truth. The man cannot play the game of basketball. He has small hands. He can't catch the ball. He's got bad feet. He can't really move, even though he's mobile. Doesn't really know what he's doing. Doesn't have a post move that he he puts to memory that he can do two times in a row. He has no game whatsoever. Plays no defense. Doesn't have the heart, the passion, or anything that comes with it. And you're asking me whether this okay. they gave up too much? Please. The Los Angeles Lakers knew exactly what they were doing. They should be celebrate right now. And Kobe Bryant should not be saying a word. So... This is the kind of stuff that Kwame has been hearing for not only his entire duration in the NBA, but even after the NBA, people are still talking about him, still downing him, still degrading him and calling him a scrub, calling him garbage and all of these things. And he's been the joke, the butt of many jokes. For decades, I mean, my first introduction to Kwame Brown, even before I even heard about the recent stuff, I heard about him because of the jokes. I heard about him from the clips with Stephen A. Smith saying, oh, he's a bona fide scrub and him clowning him. So that was my introduction. And that's what Kwame Brown was subjected to for 20 years. So that's to provide context. So this situation, this new situation that arose recently, this whole situation started because of two podcast episodes from the All The Smoke podcast with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson. On episode 81, Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson's had on Jeannie Bust, who is controlling owner and president of the Los Angeles Lakers of the NBA. Now, when Jeannie Buss was speaking of a trade involving Mark Gasol and Kwame Brown, Matt Barnes taps Steven Jackson, snickering, and says, Mark Gasol, right? To which Jeannie says, oh, did you play with Mark? And Steven Jackson answers, nope, that was just a one-man trade. You just used the name. So that's the first part. Then on episode 84, they had three-time NBA All-Star, Gilbert Arenas, who played with Kwame Brown on the Washington Wizards. Gilbert brings up playing with Kwame and Matt Barnes says, oh, we talked about him on the podcast. Gilbert says, chuckling, oh, you guys didn't kill him, did you? To which Steven Jackson answers sarcastically, nah, we were talking about how he was the greatest first round draft pick ever. These two episodes from the All the Smoke podcast appear to be the straw that broke the camel's back of holding 20 years of degradation from peers in mainstream media. Kwame posted a long-form response on his own YouTube channel, uh, Kwame Brown Bus Life. You guys can go over to his channel and check him out. And this video was an hour long. And in this hour long video, he was addressing Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson on these two episodes. And he was coming at them saying that 
they are adding to and are a part of this machine that he calls it. This machine that is here to do nothing but to degrade black men, to make black men in the eyes of everyone be seen as someone who was less than, to always bring down another black man. That's what he's saying that Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson are doing. They're doing nothing but adding to that. And that Steven Jackson is a poor representation, and Matt Barnes, both of them are a poor representation to the youth because of their true actions. He revealed that Steven Jackson is, he has, like, he's a millionaire, but he wants to be in a gang, right? He has gang affiliation. He, you know, you can see pictures of him with red flags in his pockets and um, promoting that and trying to live that lifestyle. And it's like, well, dude, like you're 40, almost 50 years old. Why are you trying to enter into a gang? And so this is the comments and the points that Kwame Brown was touching on is that you are no different than any of these other people in the media. Like you guys all run together and you guys are all set on tearing down black men. Calling someone a bust is going way beyond the numbers and the analytics. When you say that someone is a bust, that's speaking to like their whole life. I mean, just think of the connotation of the word bust. When you say bust, you think of someone who is a complete failure. Not even, not even just in a particular area of life. Just period. You just, you're garbage overall. Like you are a waste of life. You've amounted to nothing. That word bust is something that speaks far more than just basketball. And that's what Kwame Brown was trying to say. And he was coming back at them for making those comments about him, trying to dismiss him and make him seem like he's not um, even a person, trying to even ignore him. And what he pointed out, which was quite funny and sad, that Jeannie Buss, who, by the way, is a white woman, she didn't even entertain, nor did she jump on the bandwagon with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson in degrading Kwame Brown. She didn't. She was honestly quite confused of, of what they were actually trying to joke about. She included Kwame Brown's name in the trade. She said, we traded Mark Gasol and Kwame Brown. But these two brothers who, right, um, Kwame Brown uh, coined the term, um, they fake like it's Wakanda, right? These people who act like it's Black Lives Matter, who the main one posting all these pictures on the street, they're the ones talking down on a brother even when a white woman isn't. That's why I tell you not to get so caught up in skin color and all this tribalism over skin color, but that's a whole other topic. So after this first initial response, that is when Charlemagne came out reacting to the video along with Jamel Hill, uh, Matt Barnes, Stephen Jackson, and others. And he just absolutely just decimated Charlemagne because Charlemagne 
came at him so disrespectful, so uncalled for. Charlemagne unearthed details about Kwame Brown's family. It appears that Kwame Brown's father was involved in a murder. His brother um, went to jail. Um, so his, his, his family, um, some people in his family um, have uh, quite, quite the past, um, violent, uh, violent past. So Charlemagne was trying to take that family history and then connect it to Kwame Brown saying, hey, this dude has been quiet for years. You don't know what's what's going through his mind. You know, he he could he could snap at any moment. I've seen people snap for less. And keep in mind his family history. And I was just like, wow, really? That is so, 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 so low. And yes, this information is public information, but I don't see this information as public because Nobody was ever looking for that. Nobody was ever going to look at that until Charlemagne put that out there. Out of defense for Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson, which Charlemagne even said, hey, I love Stephen Jackson and Matt Barnes. Those are my guys. So out of defense for them, he went and found out about this information because Charlemagne actually knows Kwame Brown's family. They're both from South Carolina. So they're 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 familiar with each other. Uh, they have some connection to each other. And so Charlemagne pulls out this connection and it immediately paints this narrative of Kwame Brown being a violent man who is snapping and just just having a fit because of what's been going on with him for the past 20 years. And that is just so disingenuous, so overall just terrible journalism because Kwame Brown brought up a beautiful point that, well, is Jeffrey Dahmer's family members, are they all murderers? Are they all sickos and weirdos? No, they're not. That's just Jeffrey Dahmer. Just because you have one person in the family who's doing something, who has been caught up with something, then does not speak to that whole family. Everyone is an individual. And so you can't hold someone responsible for the sins, for the actions of their parents, grandparents, uncles, or whoever. And after Charlemagne did that, Kwame Brown immediately came back and absolutely smacked him. Kwame Brown did the same thing on return. He unearthed some business that was quite honestly forgotten about by many, by many people. He brought up a rape charge that Charlemagne had. Spanning back uh, about to the year 2001. And he said that, I don't know why you talking, you a rapist. He said, you, you talk about my family, my family commits murders and therefore I'm a murderer. Well, does your family rape with you? I was like, oh, golly. Um, and this has everybody on Charlemagne because he even, right? He even joked about this on the podcast. 
He joked about putting Spanish fly, which I guess is some type of roofie, um, you would say, put Spanish fly into a girl's drink and had sex with her. And she was not conscious or remembered anything and that there were men trying to come in while he was having sex with her, but he told them no. And then when she woke up, she said, uh, did we have sex? And he was like, well, yeah. And she's like, oh, I'm glad it was with you. So he's even joking about it on a podcast. Charlemagne has said plenty of other things. He said that R. Kelly's sex tape is the greatest sex tape he's ever seen. And that's for the 14-year-old. And this is the stuff that Kwame Brown was unearthing and caused many people to turn side eyes or even just flat out turn against Charlemagne. So when Charlemagne started feeling that heat, that's when he apologized. So that's pretty much everything about that situation. So what I have taken away from this situation is that in our society, we have created idols out of celebrities. We've created these characters and we no longer see the person. We just see these characters, which is why it's so easy for someone to get on Twitter, to get on Instagram, to get on whatever social media platform and call someone a B, tell someone, oh, you should die or I wish your whole family was dead. It's so easy to, to do that to someone because they don't see the person that's behind the mask. Right. And, and instead of seeing Earl, they see DMX. It's like that's a real person behind that account. And uh, social media and this generation has just created that separation. We no longer have personal connection with people or trying to create deep connections with people. We just know people artificially through an avatar, through a profile picture. And that's why it's so easy to throw out these insults. So it's actually, quite honestly, it's made me view a thing, view things a whole lot differently. And it's definitely has made me a, a whole lot more reluctant to respond negatively to somebody. Um, and I mean negatively, I mean like attacking the person like personally. Like like coming at them, telling them like, oh, like you're stupid. That's made me think about that a whole lot more because I don't want that to impact that person in a, in a severely negative way. Because people don't understand that words, words hurt. I'm unfamiliar with the term sticks and stones may break bones. That is the stupidest most unrealistic thing that I've ever heard in my life. People don't remember how you make them feel. They remember what you said. And words have a lasting impact. I mean, just look at Hollywood. People are getting surgery, um, lips done, butts done, breasts done over a comment that was said to them in fifth grade. Over a comment that was said to them in fourth grade, as a teenager, by their parent, by their friend. Life and death is in the tongue. You can either build somebody up 
edifying them, lifting them up, giving them encouraging words, giving them nice sound compliments, genuine compliments. Or you can tear somebody down. You can degrade them. You can talk about them. You can remove you can remove their humanity and their value. All with your words. So it's really has changed the way of how I communicate with people and made me weigh my words a lot heavier. I, I think a whole lot more before I say something to somebody because I know how much impact my words can have. And I don't ever want to just say something to somebody and just like, oh, well, da, 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 da. And me not knowing this is something that's really impacted and hurt it and hurt this person. So I don't ever want it to be that. And it's also made me just look at the media with a whole different lens. I've always viewed the media, especially recently in a negative light, but now I'm really seeing it in a way where it's like, hmm, the media does always pounce on black men whenever it gets the opportunity to. Whenever there is a story or a particular player doesn't perform too well, Immediately, oh, he's, he's he's a bust, he's garbage. I don't know why they're paying him this much money. And this has happened to Carmelo Anthony. This has happened to Cam Newton, especially Cam Newton. Especially with the season that he's had with the Patriots, people are saying those same comments. Carmelo Anthony, Allen Iverson, and many other black athletes. The media has created this expectation that if you are not perfect, if you are not 100% on your A game all the time, you're not even worth having a conversation to. You're not even worth us treating you with value. And that's just so bogus, so out of whack, because not every game is going to be your MVP season. Just because someone has an off game or an off season, therefore, it does not make them trash. The fact that these people even made it to the NFL, made it to the NBA, made it to whatever league that we're speaking of, the fact that they even made it there shows that they have they are of great skill, of great capability. Because if that wasn't true, then your brother. Your cousin who's trying out for the NBA, he would have made it. Not everybody makes it to these leagues because it is the best of the best. So even if the person who gets into the NBA who you think is a bust, who you think is garbage, in comparison to everybody else, in comparison to all the civilians, they're the best. They're Michael Jordan and everybody else. Now, when you get into the league, are there levels? Certainly. Certainly. I mean, you have Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Stephen Curry, and then you have bench players. Certainly there's a separation and a hierarchy once you get to that level. But people just making to that level in general, that takes a whole lot. That person is not a bust. And then not only that, to take 
what it takes to get to that next level is tons and tons and tons of sacrifice. A lot of time dedicated to that craft. Just to get there. And the reason for them striving and trying to get there is to take care of their family. So you will have young men who have grinded their whole entire lives, taking care of their family, giving back. And then for somebody to get on the television who hasn't even made it past their JV high school team to sit up there and call them a bust. And this is something that Kwame also said that the game is over with. How do you play life? Kwame Brown is successful off the court. Yeah, you didn't got all of these numbers and all that stuff, but what do you do after the league? Majority of the players who finish their career in the NBA end up going broke. People who retain their wealth, who are still able to take care of their family full time, even after leaving the league, that person is a success. By no means is that person a bust. That person is a success. So for the media to try to do that is, it makes it clear that it's a smear campaign in revealing how the media views black athletes and black men as a whole. And I'm glad that Kwame responded. What's was done in the dark will come to light. Charlemagne spoke when he wasn't even being spoken to and look at what happened look at what's happened to him i mean there's potentially the cases may be reopened deals may be lost people are talking about that they don't they don't mess with charlemagne anymore i mean it's a big deal kwame has been quiet for 20 years i mean think about that could you be quiet for 20 years of someone just slandering you Talking down on you, saying that you're a tra- you're a scrub, bona fide scrub at that. Twenty years, don't say nothing. But then when you finally do the oh, well, that's when you're disrespectful. I hate when people do that. People have done that to me. People have literally done that to me. In my early childhood, I wasn't someone who was vocal. I really let people just walk over me and just tell me anything. But when I finally started speaking up for myself and expressing myself, that's when, oh, well, you're being disrespectful. Oh, why are you talking to me like that? It's like, well, all I'm doing is stating my points and where I disagree. And if that's disrespectful, then then that's just going to be disrespectful. You're just going to be offended because I'm never going to... Let anybody, not anymore, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Tell me what I'm supposed to eat. Tell me what I'm supposed to wear. And unless you are the Almighty Himself, I don't bow down to you. You don't order me around. I am my own person and I have my own opinions. And everyone's opinion deserves to be heard. So I'm glad that Kwame has spoke up. Um I don't know why, particularly it's that that these two um, events are the ones that set him off. But 
hey, they've profited him well. His YouTube channel is blown up. A lot more people are checking him out. Um, he has great, great opinions on a lot of things. Of course, I don't agree with him with everything. Um, you know, he's, he's a country bumpkin. He's, he's very raw, a raw and uncut, um, which I like for the most part about him. So coming back to this COVID vaccine. Now I mentioned that my school is requiring this vaccine. There is absolutely no way out for me. Even if I get a religious exemption, I still would have to take this vaccine. Because if I get the religious exemption, they're not letting me have on-campus housing. And I go to school in New Jersey, and I'm from Chicago, so that's, that's, that can't work. I need housing. And so they're saying, hey, if you don't have the vaccine, can't get housing. So it's like, okay, I can't do that. Um, so I have, I pretty much, I have to get the vaccine. They've, they've left me no option except either get it or don't come to school. They're removing online schooling. So unless you were on online prior to COVID and you're on a online program, online school is over with. They're bringing everyone back to campus. And if you ain't got the vaccine, hey, you, you can't come. And so it's, it's really got me thinking, as it stands right now, I have not gotten the COVID vaccine. Why not? Why haven't I got it? Haven't been feeling led to. I do not have any convictions. My conscience is clear with me not taking this. There have been a litany of other reasons as to why I will not take this vaccine. First reason being, the vaccine makers are immune from liability. So if something goes wrong with the vaccine, right, if there is a problem with the vaccine or they didn't make it right, you can't sue them. You pretty, pretty much, you're just going to have to take that L. You're going to have to take that L on the chin. If you come out with some weird deformity, your, 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 your lips on the, on the backside of your neck, it's over for you. It's over for you. It's, it's looking very quiet for you. Not only that, you have the fact that this vaccine isn't even FDA approved yet. They have this um, on emergency. So it hasn't even been, been fully approved or given the stamp of approval that, hey, this is good to use. Not only that, this is a vac, this is a virus that has a 99.9% recovery rate. Say it again, 99.9% recovery rate. So if you get this, you have a 99.9% chance of recovering from it. So what motivation, and considering the fact of how young that I am and my immune system, I have zero reason to get this vaccine. I have zero reason to get this vaccine. I don't trust it not one bit. I don't trust it not one bit. I don't trust the government to have my best interests at heart. Because when has it ever I just find it so ironic that the people who are rushing to get the vaccine were the same people who were saying F the police 
and calling for police reform and we don't trust the government just a couple months ago in June. That same government you're riding against, you're trusting them with your health? Really? That makes a whole lot of sense. I don't trust the government to have my best interests at heart. I don't. I don't trust a vaccine that's being pushed someone by the like of Bill Gates, who's talked about depopulating the earth. I don't, I don't have good feelings about that. I don't feel confident in taking a vaccine that has a 99.0% recovery rate. So there's absolutely zero motivation or reason for you to get the shot. So why are they pushing so hard for it? You have Krispy Kreme motivating people and telling them, hey, if you get the shot, you show, you show us your vaccine card, you get donuts free for a year. Samuel Adams, free beer on us. They are attacking and trying to sway every single demographic. They're attacking those who are obese with donuts. They're attacking alcoholics. They're marketing to everybody this shot. They want everyone to get this shot, which is why there are implementing these policies and mandates on these college campuses because they know that's the demographic is going to be the hardest. No one's going to do that. No logical thinking young person is going to get the vaccine. And so they had to create a way where it's like, well, you want an education? And then get the vaccine. And now they're, they're attacking everyone. This is why they're trying to talk about vac- vaccine passports. Oh, well, if you want to travel, oh, got to have the vaccine. Where's your vaccine card? Want a grocery shop? Where's your vaccine card? Which is why they um, are trying to... This vaccine card business is something that can be very dangerous. I honestly think that this is conditioning us for the mark of the beast. Because how they are applying this vaccine and creating this sense of if you don't get it, You're not going to be able to live. You're not going to be able to travel. You're not going to be able to grocery shop. You're not going to be able to go to school. They're leaving you with no option but to get the vaccine. And I definitely think that there is a possibility of having vaccine cards. But I think that vaccine cards would eventually be upgraded for a more technological approach, a more efficient way. And the most efficient way would be for a chip, for a chip to be implanted into your hand. So when you enter into a space, they have scanners all across the thing. As soon as you walk in, they're able to scan. They're able to know who you are and see whether or not you're vaccinated. I mean, that would be the worldwide system and the most efficient thing. Because if they were to do vaccine cards and vaccine passports, I mean, lines would be at the freaking door. Because people have to be like, oh, well, let me see your vaccine card. And then, you know, people be fumbling with their wallets like, oh, oh, oh. no, that that that's the future. That's the future. That's not even conspiracy theory. That's literally like the most logical step. Having vaccine cards and having to display them each time isn't as sufficient as isn't as efficient. And in this consumeristic society. Having such an inefficient process is not going to stand. People want their groceries. People want their entertainment. They want what they want. 
And if you are getting in the way of them trying to do that, they're going to go to go berserk. So they're going to come up with that. And so I, Lord willing, if it's his will and based on the, how things play out, I'm, I'm never going to get this vaccine. I don't want to get it. I don't. There is nothing that no one can say to me or try to sway me unless it's God himself. Unless it's the Holy Spirit leading me to get this shot. Absolutely not. I have seen nothing to motivate me or push me to get this shot. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing about this shot that gives me safety, that gives me good feelings about it. And you have to think about what all of, what, like, think about all the stuff that this has been doing. Think about the aftermath of, of vaccines and mask wearing all this time. We're going to have people with, we're going to have a generation with the weakest immune systems we've ever seen. We would have literally devolved back into medieval 19th century style of health and medicine because we have not exposed ourselves to the environment and to these different things. We've been huddled up in all of our sterile environments and haven't been breathing any air. We've been wearing masks. People are even afraid to breathe air, which is weird in and of itself. And so it's like, I mean, you can even go conspiracy this way. Like this is something that's been concocted by the medical industry so that they would be able to profit off of sick people. Because they're literally creating sick people. I feel like the proper solution and the proper way to respond to the COVID, COVID-19, the proper way to respond to that was to tell people to work on their health, to take their health seriously, to work out, to eat a healthier diet. Because that's who the vaccine was coming after people, people who already had compromised health. So the proper way to respond to that was like, hey, America. We're one of the most obese nations. Let's get into shape. Let's take our health seriously. But instead to do that, as most things are, people just put a Band-Aid on it and the problem never gets fixed. And it's going to rear its ugly head in the future where you see people who are dying over the common cold because they've never faced that a day in their life because they've been wearing masks this entire time. And not only do you have the health impact, the future health impact of COVID-19 and the mask wearing, you also have the social impacts. Think, I'm, I remember seeing a video of this young man, 10 years old, in the state of Florida, and he was talking about how wearing a mask makes him feel claustrophobic, he can't breathe, it makes him anxious, he can't focus in school. And what tripped me out was when he said this, he said that he saw his teacher out in public and his teacher didn't recognize him because they're wearing masks. Do you know how sick and weird that is? Little kid was probably sitting in the front row of class. We all know back in the day before all this weirdness happened, people who sat in the front of the class, those are the people who were closest with the teacher, who interacted with the teacher. Those were the teacher's pets. 
And now those people are now strangers, just like everybody else. People, this is not okay. This is not normal. Through since March of 2020 until now, I have never, never been settled with people wearing masks. That's never been okay with my spirit, in my spirit. That's never been okay in my spirit. I've never been like, okay, this is this is normal. This is okay. This is usual. No, this isn't usual. People wearing masks in grocery stores, people wearing masks in, in, in pools and kissing with masks on. It's weird. It's weird. And not only that, you have educational impacts. Me personally, as I was reflecting on my experience with online schooling, I would honestly say that this is a lost year. It's almost as if like I had my freshman year and then my sophomore year was deleted. I didn't learn anything. I didn't learn anything new. I didn't learn anything new. So you are now going to have people who are entering the workforce who are ill-equipped, who don't know how to do anything because of this. Only thing that you're going to have people do, only, only people that you're going to have are people who simply know how to look up answers. You're not going to have critical thinkers. You're not going to have people who are going to be able to solve problems and who are able to use the education that's been given to them to actually help your company. You're not getting that. You're not even getting people with integrity at the bare, bare minimum. You're not. This is something that is totally twisted and thrown the total trajectory of so many people in, in, in countries. This is what people are going to have to deal with. This is what companies are going to have to deal with. Training is going to have to be way more extensive and way more involved than it's probably used to be. You're going to have to work with kids who are operating from a deficit. They missed a year of their education. All of these things are going to change the total trajectory and the way things have been normally operating. It's not business as usual. Things will never be back to the way they used to be. This world has been changed forever by this pandemic. And who would have ever thought just a year ago? This world... These changes that are coming are nothing but the worst. And that's every part of society. And especially when you think that when you're looking at the workforce in particular, look at how many people have been off for work for a year. People have gotten so comfortable with not going to work. People have made more money not going to work than they've ever made. And so now you're just going to just cut it. Oh, no more stimulus checks. Oh, buddy, you got a thing coming for you. That's gonna be people are, are are holding job interviews and no one's showing up because there's so much money out there being given by the government freely. So, what motivation is there to go out into the workforce? And then with that, right? If people aren't working, who's supporting the elderly in the Social Security? So you see how these things are trickling down. 
It's impacting every single sector of life. And the impacts, a lot of them irreversible. It just is what it is. So the things, Lord knows where, where, where things are going to be even within the next week or even the next day. But I don't know. It just really has me thinking. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes another installment of My Thoughts, My Opinions. Remember, your voice matters, so please share your thoughts and opinions on these topics at MTS underscore MOS on all socials where you can find me and remain updated on all information about the podcast. When you post your opinion, tag me or put hashtag my thoughts, my opinions. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, I'd appreciate a rating on wherever you're listening to this. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help me as well. Thank you. Stay up. Stay blessed. Peace.